church family may be seated. If you turn your attention to the Good screens, morning, church family. We're in the book of Matthew, as you know, in chapter 9. It'll be on the screen for you. Good morning, church family. Our scripture reading for today is Matthew 9, 18 through 38. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned, and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. And when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. And then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith it will be done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Good morning again. Good morning, Good to be church with you family. This morning, Matthew 8 and 9. If you haven't opened there in your Bible, go ahead and do that now. We're continuing on with Matthew chapter 9. We're just going to pick up really where we left off last week here in this great chapter. And I want to simply remind you that Matthew chapter 8 and 9, and really the whole gospel of Matthew, uh, the apostle Matthew is writing and over and over and over giving you illustration and story and example Verse after verse after verse declaring that Jesus is the promised king. And particularly in chapter 89, he's declaring that this promised king has all authority over his creation. Now, we talked a little bit about this last week, but just as a means of reminder, let me share again. When the Bible deals with the issue of authority... One of the ways to think about the idea of authority is this, that authority is the right to rule. Authority is the right to command, the right to act, to determine outcomes without hindrance. Authority has the idea, is the right even to demand obedience from others. 
The Bible here again is declaring that King Jesus has all authority over his creation. Now, we tried to make this really practical last week, and we're going to do that again this morning. But let me remind you, this week, in your life, in your decisions, moment by moment, your priorities, how you spent your time, how you spent your money, was all shaped by and submitted to the one you see as the authority in your life. Y'all... Last week we practiced. That was a really good place to say amen. Remember we did that last week? Let's say it again. Your week, your decisions, your priorities, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, the shape and direction of your life is ultimately impacted moment by moment by the one you believe has all authority. It's the way we live our lives. So Matthew here, over and over, is declaring to us that it is Jesus who has all authority. The authority of Jesus is on display here in Matthew chapter 8 and 9. We see that he has all authority over sickness. He has all authority over disease. He has all authority over creation. He has all authority over nature itself. He calms the storm. We saw last week... Jesus has authority over sin. Jesus has authority over disciples. He gets to determine what discipleship is and what it even means to be a disciple of his. He has authority. He has authority over the demonic realm. He has authority over death itself. So big truth that we introduced last week, we'll carry on through this week, is this. Jesus has authority over his creation. So this morning, beginning in verse 18, we're going to walk through the end of the chapter. And here's three things we're going to see. We're going to see he demonstrated his authority four different ways. We're going to see that. We're going to look at Matthew throughout the Gospel of Matthew over and over as you read. Watch out for this. Matthew over and over shows you how do people respond to the authority of Jesus. They respond in a myriad of ways. We're going to see several different ways this morning. And then thirdly, we're going to end the chapter this way, is how do we, how do you, how do I, how do we respond, even this morning, the reality that Jesus has all authority? What does that look like in our lives? Okay? So how is Jesus' authority on display here? Let me go over these verses, starting at verse 18. Matthew's going to show you three or four different ways here. Number one, verse 18. He says, while he, this is Jesus, was saying these things to them. Obviously connecting back to verse 17, Jesus has been talking about all things are new in the age of the Messiah. He's talking to these disciples of John, the Pharisees are in the background. They come and they talk about new wine and old wineskins, new cloth, old fabric. The point is, the, the king is here, things are new, the newness of the Messiah. It says, while he was talking about these things, behold, a ruler came to him and knelt before him. That's a great phrase. A ruler kneels before the king, saying, my daughter has just died. Now again, as you're reading along in the scriptures, there's times you need to stop and just pause and realize what's just been said here. This man is running to Jesus His life has just faced an unbelievable, unimaginable tragedy. His daughter has just died. 
He comes to Jesus. He says to him, but come, lay your hand on her. And by the way, in that society, touching a dead body was a big, big deal. He says, if you'll just come and lay your hand on her, she will live. Verse 19, and Jesus rose and followed him along with his disciples. Now, I want you to kind of get the idea of all that's going on here in this story. The Gospel of Mark helps us. You don't have to turn there. Mark adds a little detail to this story. And again, synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke often tell the same story from different angles. That's what Mark is doing here, same account. He adds to it this from Mark chapter 5. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue. Matthew didn't bother to tell us that. Here's what that means. This guy is likely a Pharisee. Those who were rulers over the synagogue of that day had authority over the happenings of the places of worship in the Jewish towns. That's what synagogues were. Most often they were Pharisees. So here comes this high-ranking Pharisee official kneeling at the feet of Jesus. That's hugely important for you and me. Mark goes on and says, and was imploring him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Matthew condenses it and says the girl's already died. Mark gets more specific and says, Actually, when Jairus, the the official, gets there, she's on the verge of death. But by the time Jesus arrives at the house, she has already died. So here's this synagogue official who has faced an immense tragedy he is likely a pharisee and he runs to jesus and pleading for jesus to do something verse 23 back in matthew uh, chapter 9 how does jesus respond jesus goes to the house verse 23 and when jesus came to the ruler's house and this is somewhat funny. He, says, he saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion. And you read that in your Bible and you go, flute players? Why in the world were there flute players and people making a commotion? In that day, it was the expectation when a family member died, the family was responsible to hire professional mourners. That's just the way it happened in that culture. So with all the loss they'd experienced, they had to go out and find these professional mourners. They came in, they're playing their flutes, the women are wailing, they're screaming. Jesus comes up on the scene, and it's chaos. And he's walking beside this court official whose heart is broken because his little daughter is dead. Verse 24, and Jesus says, I like this, go away. We don't need all the fake flute players. We don't need all the commotion. We don't need all the show. Because Jesus has all authority over this situation. He says, go away, verse 24, for the girl is not dead, but she's only sleeping. And they laughed at him. They laughed at him because they knew for certain this girl is dead. Was she really dead? Absolutely, she was dead. Jesus is about to demonstrate he has all authority. Verse 25, but when the crowd had been put outside, why? Because this is not for theater. This is not merely for show. He says, the crowd, you go out, and I'm going to show this family and this believing man here, this father who has acted in great faith, who has all authority. Verse 25, when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. 
Again, when you're reading through the Gospels, at times you need to stop and grasp and grapple the reality of what Matthew is declaring here. The girl was dead. Jesus touched her, grabbed her by the hand, and she rose from the dead. And the report of this, verse 26, went out through all the district. What's the point? Jesus raised the dead. Jesus has authority over death itself incredible now if this doesn't grab your heart this morning let me just remind you that you and I and every person on the planet share one thing in common we are all going to die some sooner than others some become more aware of it than others some know it's imminent in ways others don't but apart from Jesus returning one day every person on the planet shares the reality of death in common At the same time, no person, no doctor, no political leader, no religious leader has the power to turn back death but Jesus alone. Jesus has all authority. Came across this really helpful quote this week. It was by a man named G.B. Hardy. He was a Canadian scientist. And he said this. He said, When I looked at religion, I said, I have two questions. He said, question number one, has anyone ever conquered death? He said, question number two for me was, if they did, did they make a way for me to conquer death too? He said, I checked the tomb of Buddha and it was occupied. I checked the tomb of Confucius, it was occupied. I checked the tomb of Muhammad, it was occupied. I came to the tomb of Jesus and it was empty. And I said, there is one indeed who has conquered death. I asked the second question, did he make a way for me to conquer death as well? And I opened the living word of God and I found Jesus say, because I live, you will live also. Jesus conquers death. Jesus has authority over death. And because of that, we will live also. Matthew wants you to see, Jesus has authority over all his creation. Now, it gives us another illustration, verse 20. Now, here Matthew is is backing up. I know I'm skipping verses. I do that intentionally because the second one happens in the middle of the other one. While he is on the way to the house of the synagogue official, this incident happens in verse 20. So the delay of Jesus getting there, and from the time he's told the girl is sick to the time she dies, this happens. Verse 20. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. Now again, to know the weight of what's going on here, understand that this woman would have been an absolute social outcast. She would have been pushed to the fringe of society in the Jewish culture. She was considered unclean. The Gospel of Mark again tells tells us a little bit more. He says that she had suffered under many doctors, spending all of her money and was no better at all. Luke The Gospel of Luke, who was a physician, doesn't quite say that about doctors. He says it this way, she could not be healed by anyone. So here's this woman who had not been able to find healing from anyone. This woman who was a social outcast on the outskirts of society, 
runs to Jesus in verse 21, says, For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. If you write in your Bible, circle that little phrase, be made well. It's the idea of wholeness. It's the word zozo in the original language, which is used for the word of salvation, a complete healing. She believes in Christ and Jesus alone is where she will find complete healing, where she will be made whole. Verse 22, or 21, she comes, she touches the fringe of his garment, the Bible says. In other words, a lot of a lot of thought about her uncleanness. She, she was very cautious to touch Jesus, but at the same time, he's surrounded by crowds. The Bible says in the other account, he's being touched by all kinds of people. But the Bible says this woman comes up and just touches the fringe or the hem or the tassel, literally, of his garment. Jewish men, particularly rabbis, would wear these, this garb and they would have tassels on the corners of their robe. God had given that, or, that command to wear tassels as a constant recollection and a representation of the word of God the truth of God's word they were to be reminded of that every time they put their clothes on they would see these tassels and be reminded they were living under the authority of God's word so she she figures out okay if I just go and touch the fringe of his garment the power that he has will make me whole make me well and remember she'd been on a journey for 12 years Every doctor she went to, every, every, every answer she sought, every medicine she took, nothing solved her problem. She had physical uncleanliness, and her soul was left undone. She was broken before God. She knew that. And if I can only touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. Verse 22, Jesus turned, and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well and instantly the woman was made well she was made whole Jesus healed the broken outcast unclean woman making her whole here's what Mark, here's what Matthew wants you to see Jesus has all authority over broken bodies and broken souls and this woman is an illustration of that this morning Matthew gives you a third illustration in verse 27. He says this, And as Jesus was passing on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. So Jesus is traveling through the town. He's likely headed back to Capernaum, likely back to Peter's house where he lived. These two blind men begin to follow him. They're crying out, Son of David. That was a messianic title. And they say, verse 28, when Jesus entered the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And Jesus said, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. Verse 30, and their eyes were open. Mark that. We'll come back to that in just a minute. And Jesus sternly warned them, see to it that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame throughout all the district. Here's what Matthew wants you to see. Jesus opens the blind eyes. Jesus has authority to give sight. And only Jesus has authority to give sight. Physical sight. Spiritual sight. 
Now, it's interesting, Matthew is the only one of the Gospels that tells this particular story about these two blind men. There are other accounts of blind men in, in the Gospels, but Matthew, who again is declaring to the Jewish people particularly that their king is here, adds this particular story. Why? An incredible truth I want you to see here this morning. Is Jesus here in this story, again, revealing who he is? Absolutely. But in this also, Jesus is indicting the people of Israel for their spiritual blindness, and particularly the leaders of Israel. In other words, there is a purpose that this helpless, weak, these two blind men come to Jesus, and watch this, in their physical blindness, they recognize him as the son of David, the Messiah, the promised one who has come from God. When the elite spiritual leaders of the day, in their perceived sight that they think they have, they completely miss Jesus. And the point of Matthew is to say this, the blind men who act in faith have more sight as a gift from God than you religious leaders who think you can see. It's an indictment on them. The Bible wants us to be very cautious and see this reality. Matthew 13, 13 says this, just to add, in speaking to the religious leaders of the day, seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Here's the takeaway for you and me really quick this morning. We have a profound capacity for spiritual self-deception. The blind men who acted in faith based on what they heard and knew Jesus to be were granted sight. Not just physical sight, spiritual sight to see who he was. Those who were convinced that they could see Jesus is saying those were the truly blind. In their own self-deception, in their own spiritual pride. Jesus gives a fourth example. Matthew gives a fourth example. Quickly, verse 32. And as they were going away, behold. A demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. So again, they, they bring this demon-oppressed man. He'd not been able to speak maybe his entire life. Verse 33, when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. There's an immense amount we can talk about here. We're going to cover this more in the weeks that will follow. But here's what Matthew wants you to see. Jesus casts out demons. Jesus has authority over the devil and over the demonic realm. So in putting all these four together, Matthew again is holding out evidence after evidence after evidence. Illustration after illustration after illustration of this. That Jesus has authority over his creation. If you're alive and you're living, particularly in that day, and you know anything about the Old Testament, it is to be overwhelming to you that the blind are given sight, the lame are given the power to walk, the dead are given life, and things that are happening are to point clearly to this man Jesus. He is, has all authority. He is the promised king. So when the various reactions from the people, Matthew gives us those over and over, when you see how various people react to Jesus in this day, it's really to blow our minds a little bit. Matthew gives you three reactions here in this story to Jesus clearly being revealed as one having all authority. Let me show you those quickly. How did the people respond to Jesus? Verse 33. And When the demon had been cast out... The mute man spoke, and the crowds, 
Remember, there's always a ton of crowds following Jesus. And the crowds marveled. You can mark that in your Bible, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. Response number one is this. The curious crowd marveled. They marveled. I've never seen anything like this before. Jesus can do things nobody's done before. And they were curiosity seekers, and they were there for the show. And the reason you know that is because uh, they merely marveled at him but remain unchanged. The larger crowd expressed no desperation and a a recognition of their own need for Jesus. They just kind of marveled at the show. They were there, and that's why Jesus so often went in and did things in private, because he says it's not about the show. So these marveled. There was no genuine faith. There was no genuine repentance. The larger crowd merely marveled at him. Here's the challenge for you and me this morning. It is possible to be in the crowd, see all the display of his greatness, even marvel at who he is, and miss Jesus altogether. That was the larger crowd. That's challenging. The second response, quickly, verse 34. You might guess who it's from. And the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. In other words, the Pharisees had a real problem on their hands with Jesus. They were so convicting to their own self-righteousness and all that they had cropped up by their own pride. Here he is giving the lame the ability to walk, raising the dead. they got to come up with some answer for Jesus. Early in chapter 9, they had said he was a blasphemer. Here they say he is demonic. And here's the the takeaway. The self-righteous and spiritually proud, they saw no need for the righteous one. They They didn't merely stand in awe of him. They were offended by Jesus. It is impossible to walk with Jesus without a keen awareness of our spiritual bankruptcy. And that's what they lacked. They saw no need for Jesus, no need for his authority, no need for his healing power. They never came to Jesus in faith. Therefore, they remained in their blindness. Thirdly, third response, the broken And the repentant died to self and followed Jesus. Who's that? A few examples really quick. Verse 18 again. Remember the Jewish ruler? The guy at the very beginning of the story. Now we don't know a lot about his daughter. She was the one that was raised from the dead. But it was in response to the dad's faith. So Jairus, the, the leader, verse 18 again, while he was saying these things to them, Jesus, a ruler, now note this, came in and knelt before him. You are to see, juxtaposed to the Pharisees who were saying blasphemer, and the Pharisees who were saying he must be filled with demons, you got this other Jewish leader, likely a Pharisee, who walks in and in Jesus' presence, he kneels before him. Mark adds, he was at the feet of Jesus. And the phrase there is clearly used throughout the New Testament as a picture of worship. This guy comes in in broken worship before the king. Now, it was a moment of desperation. 
You say, wait a minute, well, he's just doing that because of the moment of desperation in his life. Don't you miss the fact that God will use times of desperation and weakness and fear and tragedy in our lives to even make us aware of our need for Jesus. That's what happened in this guy's life. He turns from his understanding of Judaism and what his fellow Pharisees were saying about Jesus and he comes and kneels at his feet and cries out in faith to him and even says hey come and touch the dead body of my daughter and she will be made well she will live somewhere in his mind may have not been perfect faith but he believed Jesus was who Jesus said he was and in brokenness and desperate faith cries out to Jesus the unclean woman, if I only touch his garment, I'll be made well. Now, her faith was imperfect. She didn't have all of her theology exactly right. But in her heart of hearts, she knew Jesus is the only one that can make me well, make me whole. And she ran to him in repentance and turning, dying to self. And in faith, clung to Jesus. And the blind men said, have mercy on us, son of David. They knew they were blind and they called out for the mercy of the king. Here's what you see from all these guys. Just as Jesus called, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must die to self, take up his cross and follow me. Anyone seeks to save his life, lose it. The one who loses his life for my sake will find it. And those are the illustrations of those who responded in faith and repentance. Now, third and final question this morning, and we'll wrap up. How do we respond this morning? Because here's what I know happens. A lot of you, you read through Matthew just like me, and you come across some of these stories, and you go, yeah, I've read that story my whole life. I, I hear that. I've known that. How do we respond as we read through the Gospel of Matthew, I'm going to show you three different ways we see a response that the Bible calls us to respond here, beginning in verse 35. Walk with these and we'll move into a close our time. Verse 35. And Jesus went through all the cities and villages. He was teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Brothers and sisters, here's response number one you see for you and me this morning is this. We behold our king. Behold your king. So as you're reading through these stories, let me remind you that every situation you see in these four accounts this morning was you and me before we came to Christ and before he transformed us by faith. In other words, just like the, the girl who was dead... In my sin before Jesus, I was dead to sins and trespasses until Jesus, by faith, made me alive. Just like the woman covered with shame and unclean and covered in her sinfulness, if you will, symbolically, that was me before Jesus, unclean, covered in shame. But in Christ, he presents me before the Father, holy and blameless. Behold your King. Just like the blind man who came to Jesus, that was you and me before Christ. We were in spiritual darkness, blindness, and only Christ could give us sight. Behold our King. And I was slave to the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, just like these guys who were demon-possessed before Christ. I was under the control of the evil one. Jesus gave me life and defeated death, hell, and the grave, and Satan himself. He has set me free. Behold your king. 
Second response, verse 36. The Bible says, when Jesus saw the crowds, mark this in your Bible, he had compassion. When Jesus looked out over the crowds that differed with him, that were, as he says here, they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Here's your second big idea in our response this morning. We care like our king. The word compassion here literally means inward parts. It literally could be translated kidneys. You, you could say it this way. He was moved in his very gut. This, this, wasn't, this wasn't pity. Well, oh, so-and-so, look at him. Bless him. God bless him and move on. No, this was a compassion that moved Jesus to action. He saw their physical need. But he saw beyond that to the need of their soul, harassed, helpless, translated tormented, exhausted, led astray the needs of their soul. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And that's likely a reference back to Micah chapter 4 when the Bible promises a Messiah will come who will shepherd his people. Jesus is saying the shepherd is here. Do we care like our king? Thirdly and finally, verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Listen, brothers and sisters, I've said it before. I'll say it again quickly. Don't you forget the world that's a mess out there and the world that we want to point fingers at and condemn if we're not real careful is the mission field. Mission field. Harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest third big idea and we're finished we labor in the harvest field of our king we surrender our lives to make Jesus known as the king the one who has all authority we give our lives so that those who do not know him will come to know him and Jesus says we earnestly pray that God will raise up more and more and more and more Jesus is the king. Jesus has all authority. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? I just want to ask you right there in your seat to respond to the Lord. Maybe in a moment of repentance. Maybe a moment of faith. Maybe you realize I, I have not had the compassion of my king. I do not see the world around me as the harvest field. I see it as a distraction or a frustration or oh Lord give us the compassion of our King Father I pray that you guide us this morning by your spirit to respond to your word Lord Lord, I pray that moment by moment your people we continue to live in faith and repentance before our King Lord you are the authority of our lives you are the master we need you we love you and we praise you in the name of Jesus we pray amen